The following message was recorded live at Three Strands Church. We hope it will bless you, encourage you, and challenge you in your journey of faith. We'd love to pray for you or answer any questions you have. You can message us at threestrands.church slash contact. All right, we're starting a new series today. We're going to study God's Word together. I hope that's okay with you. I hope that's why you came, is to like worship Jesus and to learn from His Word. And if it isn't, I hope that you'll be like overwhelmed by God's grace and truth today, and you'll want that to be your experience next week. So I hope you'll come back and be part of what we're doing. We're starting a new series today called Take In, What to Do When Things Feel Uncertain, or How Do You Deal With Things When They're Uncertain, or You Don't Know What's Coming Next, or You're Kind of In That Waiting Game, and and you've got these plans, but you're not sure if they're going to work out the way you want them to work out, or if they're going to pan out the way you planned or expect them to pan out. And uh, any of you who are in the room who aren't parents, this will be like a you just have to trust me on this one, okay? But um, when you become a parent, you have all these plans and expectations for your kids, and they don't live up to them, right? I'm just going to keep it real for a second. They don't, they don't usually do any of the things you kind of want them to do. They kind of have this own path they want to forge for themselves. And even if you get one that kind of like um, uh, meets those expectations or follow those dreams or plans for you, then the second one doesn't. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's like that, like Maddox. He's the second one, so it's like, you know what I mean? And then they're like a troublemaker in the family, right? And so, uh, but it's just they have their own will. And so they grow up and they got their own life and they want to plan their own things. And, and everything that you thought it was going to be like isn't necessarily true. And so, you know, you have this baby and, and you're like, go home from the hospital and you're thinking to yourself, like, we're going to read God's word every day and we're going to like pray 24 hours a day and you're going to, I'm going to raise you up in the Lord and this thing's going to go well. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, it doesn't go that way and they start lying. And they start like you know, hitting their brother and they start like doing all kinds of things that you wouldn't want them to do. And you think you already taught them how to not do that, but they keep doing it. And you're like, what's going on here? It's not working out the way I expected it. And so I've told some of you in our church this story before, but like we had our first child, Sydney, 10 and a half years ago now. And uh, so they send you home from the hospital in like three hours now, right? So you like have a baby. It's like going to McDonald's when you have a baby now. And so like we went to the hospital. We had the baby. It was like six hours later, like get out, you know? And so um, we didn't know anything about having a baby. And we weren't ready. We didn't even think we were having a baby at that point, right? Like we went to the hospital thinking Stephanie just had like an upset stomach. Like we didn't even know she was in labor. And so uh, we didn't have like a go bag. The crib wasn't set up, nothing. We literally just thought she wasn't feeling well because she had just been to the doctor. And the doctor was like, oh, you're good to go. It's going to be like another couple weeks or, you know. Like, and then that night it was like, my stomach doesn't feel well. Or whatever. And, so, and so we like go to the hospital thing and just get her checked out, you know. And they're like, oh, you're going to have the baby. We're like, what? And so like I had to leave kind of in the middle of the whole, you know, after the baby was born to go home, like set the crib up and get the room ready and all that stuff. And uh, I think we had our dog with us, and he, like, slept in the car for two days or whatever in the parking lot. But, um, and so it, w- it was like, you know, we weren't ready is what I'm saying, right? And so then they turn you loose into the real world with this, like, other human. And you're like, what do I do with that? You know what I mean? I don't know what to do. And so we get in our car, and we strap Sydney into the car seat, and we pull out of the parking garage at the Somerset Hospital. And as we're at the stop sign at the entrance to the parking garage— she starts crying. And we were both like, we don't know what to do. 
So we went back in. This is no lie. Like, we took her out of the car seat. Like, did I strap her down too hard? Did I hurt her? What are we supposed to do? And so we went back in. They, like, thought that was a joke, you know. And so, uh, and so then we leave. And then you have, like, the second kid. And the second kid, we were like, be quiet. You know, we stopped at Walmart on the way home. You know what I mean? Like, we didn't know. And so it's like you learn a lot. But you have, like, all these plans and all these expectations and then all of a sudden, like, they don't come true. And you're kind of like, what do I do with all that? And you, maybe you find yourself, like, waiting around. Like, waiting around for the life you kind of always wanted to happen. And, and it doesn't seem to be coming. Or it doesn't seem to be coming quick enough. And so you're confused. That's kind of what this series is going to be all about. And so to do it, we're going to study through the first two chapters of the book of Acts. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, you want to follow along, that's where we'll be today. Acts chapter 1. The verses will be on the screen also. But Acts chapter 1, Acts is the second volume in a two-volume set, okay? The author of Acts is Luke, and he writes two books, the Gospel of Luke and then the book of Acts, and they go right beside each other, right back to back. It's like he wrote the second volume of one big book or one big uh, historical record. And so Luke, um, in his Gospel, records all of the things that Jesus did up until the time he ascended or he left earth to go back to heaven, and then Acts kind of picks the story up right there and records everything Jesus did through his followers after he went back to heaven to get this thing started that we call the church today, okay? And so uh, you might say that, uh, that Luke is kind of like the record of the finished work of Jesus, right? There's no adding to what Jesus did on the cross or in, in the, when he rose from the dead. That's kind of the finished work of Jesus. And then Acts is kind of like the continuing work of Jesus. That makes sense? So it's like nothing we can add to the gospel message. That's covered for us in Luke, really. And uh, now what we're going to see is kind of Jesus' plan to take that gospel message and get it to the rest of the world. And so that's what Acts kind of records. And Luke kind of writes both of these books, and he gives us a great historical record of all these things that Jesus did. And so what you get in Acts chapter 1 is a little bit of overlap from Luke chapter 24. So the end of Luke and the first chapter of Acts, kind of like a little bit of repeat almost in some of those because he's kind of recapping like, hey, remember where we left off at the end of Luke before I get started into Acts? And so we're going to look at that together. There's going to be a little bit of overlap. I'll give you those references if you want to look them up in Luke later. But in Acts chapter 1, we're going to kind of kick this thing off. Let me read you the first few verses. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 says, In my first book, I told you Theophilus. Now, who is Theophilus? We don't really know. Okay, Luke doesn't even tell us. But you can make a guess about who he is. He's probably either a Greek or a Jewish uh, man living in like part of the Greek world at that time. And he doesn't really go into detail about who Theophilus is. Just a Greek name, right? So you kind of know he's probably... Uh, a Greek guy living in this, uh, the Greek world, and he's probably famous or fairly famous. He's probably got some cred because he doesn't go into any detail about who the guy is. So he was probably prominent enough that everybody reading Luke and Acts would have known like who the original audience Theophilus was, you know? And so, uh, but, but that makes sense. If you were trying to record a gospel message or a, a message that you wanted to get out to the whole world, you would send it to somebody like kind of prominent, who could get the message out for you, right? And so that makes sense that he would send it to somebody. In fact, the people that Jesus entrusted the gospel message to were really like the worst possible choices. They weren't famous at all. They were mostly like working guys. A lot of them, some say up to like seven of the 12 apostles were fishermen. And, and so these guys weren't like, you would think you would send this message to like the king 
or, or some like high-ranking religious leaders that could really like spread the word around. But no, Jesus kind of sends it to a bunch of common men and says like, it's on you to take this message to the world, you know? And so, but anyhow, so Luke probably writes this to this prominent Greek guy, Theophilus. You get that in Luke chapter 1 where he says the exact same thing almost. He's writing this um, book to Theophilus. But in Luke, he says most honorable Theophilus or most excellent Theophilus. So you know he's kind of got like some prestige or some clout with people wherever he was living at that time. And so Luke writes his account, sends him off to Theophilus, and he says, uh, in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instruction through the Holy Spirit. So you see that, right? Luke, everything Jesus did till he was taken up to heaven. And then he says in verse 3, During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. He proved to them in many ways. We were here several years ago. We did a series called Proof of Life where we looked at those 40 days and all the things Jesus did to prove he really had risen from the dead. And to prove to them that he was actually alive. And he talked with them about the kingdom of God. I love that, that his message after he came back from the dead was exactly the same as his message before he died the kingdom of God, how to get there, what it was all about, what it looked like. So you get some important information in this passage that a lot of people know if they grew up in church or been to church on Easter's, uh, Easter services before, but that Jesus rose from the dead and then he walked around for 40 days. Right? Everybody knows that. So that time is important because it sets the frame for our series, Taken, that we're going to cover over the next several weeks. We know that Jesus died on the Passover weekend. It was just before Sabbath. They wanted to get him off the cross before the Sabbath day started. And that was not just a Sabbath, but it was Passover Sabbath. So a holiday in Israel where they would celebrate the freedom from captivity in Egypt, the Passover holiday. That holiday is still celebrated by Jewish people today. We also know that 50 days later from Passover is another Jewish holiday that all of Israel celebrates. They still celebrate it today, the holiday of Pentecost. Pentecost, all right? And so we know that this series we're teaching today ends at Pentecost. And Jesus walked around for 40 days. Pentecost was 50 days after he rose from the dead. So you got 10 days in between. You with me on that? So Jesus dies. He comes back from the dead. He walks around for 40 days proving to his followers that he was the real deal. He wasn't just a ghost or a fantasy or a figment of their imagination. He was a real flesh and blood human again, right? And then he leaves them, and then you've got a 10-day gap before Pentecost, which is when the church gets started. This series is all about that 10 days. What happened during that 10 days? 10 days where they didn't really know what was going to go, what was going to come next. They didn't know what to expect. They had their own plans and their own thoughts and their own expectations. Jesus was about to shatter all those and do something completely new and different. They didn't know what it was going to be. And they're just stuck waiting around for the very next thing. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're in a season of life where it feels like you're just waiting for the next thing. The diploma is not coming fast enough. The raise never seems to happen quick enough. The career you're looking for seems to keep eluding you. The relationship you want more than anything else in the whole world seems like the furthest thing from your life right now. And you're just stuck waiting for all this blessing that God seems to say you're going to get, but it doesn't come fast enough for you. And it does, definitely doesn't seem to be coming the way you planned it or the way you expected it. 
That's the scenario we're looking at in Acts chapter 1. Let me read some of it to you, and then we'll talk about it. Because it's possible if you find yourself in limbo, in that kind of a waiting period of your life, in, in that kind of uncertainty, it's possible God's setting you up for something brand new. Could it be that God knows more about your future than you do, and he's trying to prepare you for something brand new? That's what he's going to do with his closest apostles, his closest followers. That's what I think he wants to say to us if we're stuck in those same kind of situations. So look with me at verse 4. Here's what he says. Here's what Luke records. Once, once, when was this? When was this? This was in Luke chapter 24. If you want to look that up on your own sometime, Luke chapter 24, verses 35 to 53, you'll find this exact same story. He said, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. Now, what was the gift God had promised? He's going to tell us in verse 5. You ready? John baptized with water, but not many days from now. How many days from now? Anybody know? Everybody listen. Ten. Ten days from now. Okay, it's ten days, right? So not many days from now, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Some places are going to call that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, the fire of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit. You're going to hear a lot of different words for that. I'm not going to dig too deep into that today because we're going to tackle it in two weeks when it actually happens in this passage. Okay? So he kind of says, don't, don't leave Jerusalem. Just wait around. Wait around. And so maybe this is the first thing God's saying in that season of waiting for you. He's kind of giving them some new directions. They're not the directions they thought they'd hear. They're not the directions they'd want to hear. And I imagine they were pretty obedient to Jesus, especially at this point. He had just come back from the dead. And you're like, well, do whatever you say. So they go to this, you kind of see the picture of them in this upper room. And they're in Jerusalem, kind of huddled up as a bunch of followers. About 120 followers of Jesus at this point. 11 of his closest apostles. Judas is gone already. They're going to replace him next week if you'll come back. But... Um, and so there's just this small group of followers. And I imagine they're in that room obeying Jesus, thinking like he told us to wait. But he didn't say how long. And so then like the second day, I can see almost like somebody kind of getting antsy and being like, how long are we going to wait here? Like, what are we going to do? We got to do. And then day three, it's like, well, he said to wait. He said it'd be not many days later. So let's hang out here a little. But man, by like day four or five, just waiting around. Don't you think that they were probably like, well, now what? we got to do something. Jesus is gone. He's been taken away from us. He's in heaven again, like seated at the right hand of God. Now it's on us. He told us we're supposed to like tell everybody about him. Like, are we just going to sit here forever waiting? It's got to be something we should be doing, right? And yet they wait. It would be 10 days till they left that room, till they left that house, till they left that scene. And you're thinking, man, I wonder if I could wait that long, or if I'd be too antsy. Jesus is preparing them for what's coming next, but they don't know when it's coming. And so he says, wait in Jerusalem for the promise God gave you. What was the promise? That I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to come and fill you with power. He's going to give you unlimited power. He's going to give you unlimited comfort. He's going to be the one that enables you to carry my message to the rest of the world. But wait for it. Wait for it. And so they're waiting around, and I wonder if that's you, if you would wait, or, or if you just keep going after your own answers. And, and so I, I, I kind of thought to myself this week, like, how often I find myself 
forced into this situation where I want God's blessing and I want God's promises, but I am so impatient that I try to go after my own answers to get them instead of just waiting. And so I settle for a relationship that's not real healthy. I settle for a job that's not the one I should take. I settle for something that will make me feel better, even though it's not what God would have wanted me to do or what he'd promised. And I settle. And this, I think, is the moment that Jesus was talking about way back when, when he was with his disciples and his apostles, and he said, it's better for you if I go away. It's better for you if I leave you. Because if I don't leave you, then the Holy Spirit won't come. And so it's like Jesus knew that the only thing better than him with you is the Holy Spirit in you. And so he knew it would be better for them if he went away. But now he's gone. The Holy Spirit hasn't come. And there's this gap, this space. You've got that exact same space. There's a space between what you've heard God promise you and God giving you that promise. And in that space is patience. And, and, and the more patient you are for that blessing, the more likely you are to get it. And the more quickly you run to your own answers to solve it, the less likely you are to receive that blessing. So I ask you this question, when it comes to God's directions for your life, are you waiting for God's promises or are you chasing your own answers? And you know that. You know if you're dating the wrong person, if you're working the wrong job, you're like, I don't really know. I can help you. You ready? If you're dating somebody who doesn't love Jesus, you're dating the wrong person. That's pretty simple. Like, they told me they were a Christian. I don't care if they told you they were a Christian or not. Everybody in the whole county says they're a Christian. That's garbage theology around here. Everybody, I mean, like atheists will say they're a Christian in this county. doesn't matter. They all think they're Christians. They all pray to prayer. They all belong to a church. I want to know if they love Jesus. If they don't love Jesus, stop dating them. It's that simple. Or you can keep going after your own answer, or you can wait for the promise. It's on you. You're like, I don't know if I got the wrong job or not. I can help you. If the job keeps you away from church and all your Christian community because it pays you a dollar more an hour, it's the wrong job. Quit it. Well, I don't know what I'll do. God will provide. Like, is God so little that you have to hang on to your job or he can't bless you? If the job is some environment that like drags you down spiritually, drags you into the mud, tempts you beyond what you're able to withstand, drags you into the gutter with it, get out. Get out. Who has the job that's so valuable that Jesus couldn't bless you somewhere else? Who has that? Do any of us have that? That's how you know. Like, I don't know if it was the right purchase or not. If you had to go into debt, it was the wrong purchase. I can help you. We just like go through God's word, like follow his principles. If you had to be enslaved to some bank to get it, it's probably the wrong purchase. Just don't do it. God will bless you. He's bigger than that. Are you going to wait for his blessing? Are you going to get your own answers? And sometimes like we keep God from blessing us because we're so impatient. And I, I've said this to a lot of like dating couples before. I'm like, how's God ever going to bless you with the right person if you're always with the wrong person? That's a good question to ask if you're single and you're here. If you're married, they're already the right person. Don't get out. They're the right person. When you said, I do, they became the right person. So just press into it. Let me read you the next paragraph, verse 6. He says this. 
So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him this question. Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore your kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They are not for you to know. In other words, you say, mind your own business. Mind your own business, right? Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Here's that idea again. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What the apostles expected to happen right here was for Jesus to free them from Roman rule and to set up a kingdom. This is obvious from their conversations all throughout his life. The reason this is confusing for them and not for us, because we have hindsight. Up until that point, all they have is the Old Testament and Jesus' life. Okay? And, and, And there's two great mysteries in the Bible. The New Testament teaches exactly what's in the Old Testament, except for two things. There's only two brand new things in the New Testament. They're great mysteries that are revealed, that Jesus comes to reveal. The first one is what we call today the church age. The church age, those words aren't in the Bible, but it's what we call it today to refer to this era where there's going to be churches to the uttermost part of the world where they hear about the gospel, the church age. The second mystery in the Old Testament that is only revealed in the New Testament is what we call today the rapture. That's also not in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. You can't find that word in the Bible. But it's just what we use to describe that moment when Jesus is going to come back in the clouds and rapture or gather up all of his people, Okay. So those two things aren't in the Old Testament. So from the apostles' perspective, what was supposed to happen was the Messiah was supposed to be killed. He was going to rise from the dead, and then he would establish a thousand-year kingdom on earth where he would reign as the king. And they would rule and reign with him. And everything would be at peace and perfection, and there would be no death and no sickness and no more slavery or captivity to Rome. And so they keep asking Jesus this question, if you're the Christ, if you're the Messiah, are you here to free us from slavery? Are you here to set up your kingdom? And Jesus kept saying, stop asking that question. There's some stuff in between you don't know about. There's a purpose that you don't know about yet. And if Jesus had set up his kingdom right then, there would be no us. You get that? Jesus said to his followers, like, you'll do greater things than I've done. You're like, how can I do greater things than Jesus done? He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He like turned water into wine, fed thousands of people out of one dude's lunch. How am I going to do greater things than him? Think about it for a second. Jesus' whole life was spent in about a 50 to 100 mile radius. And now his message is to the ends of the earth. These 11 guys in that room, they were going to take this message to the end of the world. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus looked at that as greater than anything he was going to do. It was a new purpose that they couldn't see because they didn't know God's plan all the time. Maybe it's possible you don't know God's plan all the time. Is that possible? Is it just possible that God has insight into what's best for you that you don't have, that he has purpose for your life that goes beyond your next paycheck or your next date or your next purchase? Is it possible that he has purpose for your life that goes beyond the walls of your home, that goes beyond the borders of your county? Is it possible that he has goals and dreams and plans for you that are so big and he wants you to buy into them, but you just can't see them yet? And so we get this uncertainty in our life. We get discouraged because it's not happening fast enough. And what we tend to do is we shut it down and we hide from the world. We go silent. We go dark. 
We get focused on all the things we can't do instead of staying focused on the things we can do. And we'll say things like, well, that's the pastor's job. I'm not really qualified to share the gospel. And yet the same Holy Spirit that he promised them is the same Holy Spirit we get. And he's like, you'll get this power from the Holy Spirit and you're to be my witnesses everywhere, even to the end of the world. You can't outsource the gospel to somebody else. It's not the pastor's job. In fact, I can only make a case from the Bible that it's my job to get you more ready to share the gospel. It's not my job to share the gospel. It's our job to share the gospel, the good news about Jesus. That's our purpose. And so I ask you, are you living a life of powerful witness for Jesus? Because if you're not, you're hiding from your purpose. And I don't care how good it sounds to everybody else out there. I don't care if you're the greatest dad in the whole world. If you're the most gentle, kind, loving mother. If you're a great friend and you always have your friends back. If you're the hardest worker wherever you work. All that stuff is great stuff. It's just not your purpose. Your purpose is to tell people about Jesus. To take his message everywhere you go. And I know you're here now and you're thinking like, well, I'm not qualified. I don't really know enough about the Bible. You don't understand. I'm just a lineman or a mechanic or a nurse or a teacher. You don't understand. I can't do that. Why not? If a bunch of fishermen could do it that weren't educated, just workers, why couldn't you do it? You're like, I don't really have a story to tell about Jesus. Then you don't have the Holy Spirit. Let's just be real about it. If you can tell your life story and Jesus doesn't come up in the story, you're probably not following him. How could he be the most important person in my life and I tell you everything there is to know about me for 30 minutes and his name doesn't get dropped? Well, yeah, I go to church and yeah, I've read the Bible and yeah, I do good things and I'm kind to people, but am I living a life of powerful witness for Jesus? He goes on in verse 9 and says this, After saying this, he was taken up, he, Jesus, was taken up into a cloud where they were watching. Again, you can find all this in Luke chapter 24. He's kind of repeating it all. While they were watching and they could no longer see him, as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. I love that because Stephanie mentioned like the women at the tomb on Resurrection Sunday on that morning. And it's the same. Before you like bash the guys for like standing there staring into heaven looking for Jesus. It's like on Resurrection Sunday, the women did the same thing. They're staring into the tomb. Two guys in white robes had to show up. Angels had to show up and say the exact same thing. Why are you staring into the empty tomb? Why are you staring into the blank sky? Jesus is not here. He's risen just like he said. Go get busy about all the things he said to do. Why are you staring up into heaven? Wasting your time. Jesus said he was going to do all this. He'll come back just like he left. Go do what he said. And some of us, it's like we freeze in life. Some of you are frozen right now. Frozen looking at this moment in your past. Unable to move beyond it. And Jesus is showing up to his apostles here right before he leaves. He's trying to give them a new mindset. The same new mindset he wants us to have. Don't get froze looking at your past. At this moment in time where everything seemed right. 
comparing everything else that comes to that. And you can't even move. You're like a deer in headlights just staring at life. It's like you need two angels to show up and be like, what are you staring at? Like, oh, I was just staring at that tree. Like, get busy. Change your mindset. Get focused on the new purpose. Get focused on the new direction. Get focused on what Jesus says to focus on. You can keep staring off into your past or you can start stepping into your future. I love that thought of not wasting our pain. I know some of it hurts. I know people might have treated you like garbage. I've had people treat me like garbage. Some of them in my life group. I'm just, no, I'm just kidding, Emma. I'm just kidding. Not those people in my life group never treat me like garbage. They're great, godly people. But I get it. I get it that it wasn't always your choice. But you can keep staring at the past or you can press forward to the future. So I ask you, have you shut it down and started hiding? Are you hiding from the life God wants you to have? Maybe because things just haven't gone your way or they haven't been what you expected or planned. You feel super weak or paralyzed. I get it. You feel like you don't even know what to do next. I get it. And I've said to our church before, that might be the best spot to be. Weakness is what we want. Because the goal is really for us to be dependent on Jesus. So if dependency on God is the objective, then weakness becomes the advantage. So maybe you're in the best possible spot to be like, I'm going to embrace these new directions. I'm going to embrace this new purpose. I'm going to embrace this new mindset. Can you show us all three of those just for a second, Kenny? So maybe this is what God's saying to you. You're stuck in a season of life that is unfulfilling, that isn't what you expected it to be, that isn't the plans you laid out for yourself. That's okay. You're stuck, kind of frozen in time, feeling weak and powerless, unable to do anything on your own. That's okay too. You want answers and you want them now and so you're trying to find them as anywhere you can so you keep settling for lesser gods. Keep settling for lesser blessings and, and maybe it's time today to change all that. And like I said, I understand that stuff happens to us and it, it rocks our world and people hurt your feelings. People scar you maybe for life. I get that. But the toughest tissue is scar tissue. And you don't get to choose your life. But you do get to choose the way you live. And I feel like that's what Jesus is saying to us in Acts chapter 1. I think he's saying that to his apostles. You're not going to get to choose your life. I've chosen that stuff for you. I've pre-planned all that. But you, get, you do get to choose the way you live in it. So I want you to wait. I want you to wait for my blessing. When you get it, it's going to fill you with power and comfort. I want you to get focused on my purpose, the purpose of reaching the rest of the world with my good news. I want you to shift your mindset. I want you to stop thinking about the past and start thinking about all the future stuff, all the stuff I've got for you to do, all the plans I've got for you. You may not know what they all are. You can trust me. Now, how do I know? How do I know that I can trust Jesus' purpose? How do I know I can trust his mindset? How do I know I can trust his directions? There's only one reason I can trust him. You ready? Because he rose from the dead. That's it. That's the whole gospel. There's nothing else that makes Jesus trustworthy. Yeah, he taught great lessons. He did amazing miracles. 
those are all cool and helpful for us sharing this message. But if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, the rest of it's worthless. The reason I can believe him when he gives me new directions, when I can tr- that I can trust him when he gives me a new purpose, that I can shift my mindset to think the only thing that matters is what he says matters, is because he rose from the dead. That's the beauty of Easter. It has nothing to do with some weird magic bunny that somehow lays eggs, which is what chickens do. I don't get that. It should be an Easter chicken. I know that's like separate from the sermon today, but I don't even get the Easter bunny. Like, why is he laying eggs? They don't even do that. But like, the real message of Easter is that Jesus can be trusted to give me the directions for life. He can be trusted to set the frame, the purpose, and the mindset for me to follow. And he can be trusted on all that because he rose from the dead. That's what makes him God. He's, he said it himself. I'm the only one that has the authority to take my life. Nobody can take my life from me. I lay it down on my own voluntarily, but I have the power to raise it back up again. That's what makes you God. And so as soon as you can do that, you can start following your own directions. Start following your own purpose. Start following your own mindset. But until then, I'd recommend giving everything you got to Jesus. We're studying through the book of Acts with our kids. And one of the things we read yesterday was Paul said, the only thing that gives my life any meaning or value is that I get to tell other people about Jesus. That's it. All the fulfillment you're looking for, all the purpose and meaning out of life, it's all available. It's just not available if you keep running after your own answers. So I ask you, church, today, how many people are you telling about Jesus? How often do you sacrifice something in your life to spread his message to others? How often are you pressing in to his way and how often are you trying to get your own answers your way? Those are good questions for us to ask. And the resurrection, the cross, the Easter story, it shows us all this perfectly. Jesus is this perfect embodiment of all of God's love and all of God's power mixed into one three-day event. And there's nobody else in the whole world that would have died for you. And there's nobody else in the whole world that could have rose for you. And so at this one three-day event, Jesus shows us the beauty of God's love and God's power mingled together in a word that we call redemption. Because God even said it in Romans that there might be somebody in the world that would die for you, but not like this. You might die for a friend or a family member, somebody you love and are close to, but that isn't what Jesus did. It says God demonstrated his love for us by sending Jesus to die for us while we were sinners. Well, we were smacking him in the face and treating him like garbage. Who would do that? Think of your worst enemy, the person you can't stand the most, the person that's treated you the worst, and Jesus died for them. And while he was dying, here's what he said about them. Forgive them, Lord. They don't even know what they're doing to me. That's love. That's love. And so Jesus did what nobody else would do when he died for you, and then he did what nobody else could do when he rose for you. And hope is available in him today. But it won't be because you prayed some magic prayer or because you signed a card or got baptized. It won't be because you attended a church service or because you tried to help an old lady across the street today. That's all good stuff, but none of that will have anything to do with it. Hope is available. Freedom is available. If you will cry out to Jesus to save you because he's the only one who can, and you will surrender everything you are to him because he's the only one that deserves it. And as soon as you ask him to save you, 
And as soon as you tell him you'll surrender, he gives you the gift, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And it empowers you to tell the rest of the world all about him. The choice is yours as always. And if you're here today and you're already a Christian or you think you're a Christian, it would be a great time to evaluate whose directions you're following, whose purpose you're motivated by, whose mindset you have each day in your life. Can I pray for you? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for our church and the truth of your word. Thank you that you didn't leave us without instructions, but you laid it all out for us. God, would you teach us over the next several weeks what to do, how to act, how to think, how to live, what to believe when we feel uncertain, when times are uncertain, when we're not sure what to do next and things don't seem like they're working out the way they should. Would you teach us from your word? And God, would you encourage and give courage to the people in our room to go out of this room and to put into practice what your word says today. To maybe surrender their life to you for the very first time or to do some soul inventory and to actually start pressing into your plan because you are worth it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. What an amazing challenge from God's word for all of us. We hope you start putting everything you've learned in this session into practice. Be sure to subscribe to the 3SC podcast so you'll never miss any new content. Thanks for listening.